Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm Darren Fred. I'm a pastor at uh, Timberline Old Town and with the Timberline organization. Uh, we're at Everyday Joe's Coffee House at 144 South Mason. I, caught, I was uh, on my way into church this morning, and like many of you who are here and some of you who aren't, I called the church to ask who was speaking. And they said, Darren Fred. I said, Who? And I'll tell you what, I came this close to turning around and going home. <laughs> Have you heard that one before? I did that a couple times ago. It, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, don't, I came to this church <clears throat> as a 21-year-old. Derry Northrup was in his second year. And he had glorious blonde feathered hair. <laughs> but besides the fact that he was a striking specimen, he made me believe that it was good news. And I grew up in church. And I can't tell you to this day how surreal and if I think about it, what a privilege it is for me just a... Just, uh, I still think I'm just that kid that's shaky and uh, doesn't have the wherewithal to get up and talk about these sorts of things, but I'm grateful for it, and I will be watching myself because my mother-in-law is in tradition service, <laughs> and she knows too much after 28 years. You got, I hate, I mean... No, it's good for me. Last night, my wife was here. I tried to talk her into staying home so I could say stuff without, you know, with impunity. I'm grateful for this church, for my family, and everything else. So we're in this run series. It's, in, in, uh, it's about stories in the Bible where people ran, ran away from stuff, ran for stuff, ran with other people, and... In, in, in particular, today I'm talking about uh, a story from the Gospels. The story of the life and ministry of Jesus begins with people running, more or less, to him. If you remember, Jesus would say, come on, come, follow me. And, the, and they would say things like, at once they left. It says immediately they left their nets. They, they left work in the middle of the day. But the, the writers are saying there's, there's something about the, the encounter with Christ that causes an immediate, visceral reaction that, that requires action. Um, <clears throat> and stories of gobs of people running out to him said the whole town ran out to meet him. And then we have people running away from Jesus. Remember after his arrest, it says that they all ran. It's our story too, isn't it? It's my story. I remember being so compelled by, by, this, by the Spirit of God, by the message of Jesus, that I just, I ran and I love to go to church, and I love to be with people. And I remember being so proud to be associated with the, the way and the people of Jesus. But I also remember times when I was ashamed, and I ran away. So 
As we read another story of running, I want to invite all of us to enter the story because it's our story. It has um, inspiration, it has fear, it has glory, it has shame, just like our story, right? So John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, dark, Jesus is dead, as far as they know. It's over. The revolution is over. And uh, the aftermath of a revolution is ugly. I mean, not unlike the aftermath of an election, except they kill people. <laughs> and when it's dark, it's worse, isn't it? If you've ever been in a place of fear, anxiety, speaking for myself, waking up sometime in the middle of the night, and it grips you, and it's worse, and we can't even reason with it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Who's the one Jesus loved? It is John. We know that. Um, but it, <laughs> John, who is believed to be the author of the Gospel of John. That's why it's called the Gospel of John. He, he, in the story, he, he did this thing where he often wouldn't refer to himself, but he, well, he would refer to himself as the one who Jesus loved, as if he was the only one, as if Jesus loved him the most. But what a thing to say, like, who are you? Well, I'm the one he loves. Like, if you could say that, if, if I could feel that, if I could believe that, what would that do? to my relationships. The one whom Jesus loved, and Peter. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Mary Magdalene, a checkered, scandalized woman, tells them this report. Incidentally, not incidentally, but germanely or very importantly, women in this time and culture were not allowed to testify in court in legal cases because their testimonies were considered to be unreliable because women are emotional and you can't trust what they say. They exaggerate. No, I didn't say that. They did. <laughs> um, also, shepherds. Remember the shepherds? Shepherds were not allowed, if you didn't know that, to testify in, in legal cases because they weren't considered trustworthy. So at the beginning of the story, who do we have reporting the birth of Jesus? Shepherds. And here, at the, at the culmination of the story of Jesus on earth, who do we have reporting the resurrection? <laughs> People who weren't allowed to testify in court. But this is the gospel. It takes, it reaches with its long arms and it stretches to the margins and it brings into the center of the story those of us who thought and who were thought to be not worthy of the story. And I love that. So she tells him they, that uh, they don't know where he is. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. 
But the other disciple, who? John. Outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. So John is faster and Peter is braver. Who wants to go into a tomb? Stupid people? No, brave people. What's the difference between stupid and brave? Sometimes not much. But he went in. And what if you're stupid and not brave? That would be a bummer. I understand that. So Peter goes in and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying because they didn't know. Like, there's some hope, but there's still some fear. You ever been there? Like this tension where you carry these two seemingly opposed things inside of you. Like, I, he's been there before. He said he did, but I don't know. And we can enter that. We can understand that. We can understand having evidence and experience and yet still locking our doors in fear. So they ran again back behind locked doors. Verse 19. Let's skip a little down to 19. On the evening of that first day. So same day, but it's evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Sometimes he says it twice. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Breathed on them? Did you see that movie, The Green Mile, where that big John Coffey would breathe and particles would be exchanged? He would inhale and he would take out the evil, take out the the pain. He breathed on them. And then he said, receive. Now, we're in this story. Jesus has breathed on them. And and, and now, these are the first words other than peace that he will say to these men post-resurrection. And he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What? And the episode ends. How would it feel to be biting into an egg salad sandwich that was brought over by a thoughtful neighbor after the funeral for the spouse or the brother or the kid or the friend? Standing by the counter in the kitchen. I love egg salad sandwiches. But you can't even taste it because it's just, he's gone, she's gone. 
chewing away. And you're, you're chewing there, and then you're thinking, man, I wish I could hear his voice one more time. I wish I could have one more conversation with you. You're looking at the picture on the, <clears throat> on the program from the service, chewing on egg salad. And it's like you can, you can hear his voice. What? And it's, but it's not inside your head. It's, wait, you actually he, hear his voice outside your head, and he's there. You could, it wasn't in your mind. What would that be like? And he says, how's it going? Peace, man. Wouldn't it be fun? Like, it'd be fun to have someone come back, but it'd be more fun to come back and mess with people. <laughs> Jesus says, peace, brothers. But that didn't happen to us, did it? They, they're gone and they stayed gone except in our hearts, but it happened to the people in this story. And we can imagine, and we have, we've imagined what it would be like to have one more day, one more meal, one more conversation. And we thought about, what, what would I say to her if I had a, a, a moment? What would I, what would I say to him? <clears throat> but the thing is, I think we maybe wouldn't want to be the ones doing most of the talk, and I think we want them to talk to us. And what would the sentences be the sentences those voices would say because they're the ones who went away and came back. What would he say to me? This is, we'd be listening. You know, you ever listen to someone you love and you really do love them, but you just drift off for a while? Start thinking about the Rockies or thinking about, is it two for one at Taco John's today? <laughs> or, you know, like, Something, I wonder if my cat likes me <laughs> or if he just wants things from me. But, uh, and, then, and then she says, you know what I mean? And I said, oh, yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean, but say it another way because I like to hear you say it again. <laughs> You're so good at saying it. <laughs> but uh, we'd really be listening. We'd really be listening. And, and we wonder what she'd say. And we don't have to wonder with Jesus because they did hear his voice again and did say some things. And he, and he says, and, the, and the, I don't know if he said more, but this is what the storyteller says. This is the thing. This is the thing that he said that we have to remember. Well, it says, first of all, he said, peace, which is shalom. All is well. Literally, everything's put back together. And then he said, well, first he breathed on them. And you maybe are, are one of, of those people who wonder what his breath smelled like. It didn't smell like the Holy Spirit. That's a terrible thing to say. Right? He breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the breath of God, which is literally receive the sacred wind, the thing that animates you. The, we, we trudge along and we muddle along. We try to be good, but this is the thing that gives the life to our practice. Receive that, that which goes beyond your understanding, the air of eternity. Where we heard that before, he breathed on them. And the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed, breathed into his nostrils, breath of life, and the man became a living thing. The breath of 
the man and the woman who were naked and unashamed. We have breath at creation, and now we have breath at recreation. We have breath before life, and we have breath after death. That covers it, right? The breath of forever. And what does that mean then and now? That every coffin will be emptied? Yeah. That everything will be made right? That's what the empty tomb tells us. Jesus, the first fruit from death. Jesus, who went to the clearing at the end of the road for us that when we, so that when we get there, we won't be alone and it won't be the end, right? And boy, that is profoundly important to the, to the couple whose son died to the kid whose mom is gone, to the, to the spouse who lost that partner and he didn't know where he began, where he ended and where she began. This is profoundly important and it is, it is a thing that the, the rational mind cannot accept. The Bible says it's foolishness. And Paul said, if it's not true, we're fools. But, but remember who Paul is? Paul is the one who said, this is a bunch of malarkey. And he went around rounding up these guys who say he resurrected. That is not possible. And, but what happened to Paul? He encountered the resurrected Christ. And I can't do that for you, and you can't do that for me. We can cheer each other on, and we can share the Holy Spirit, but this is what we need. And we need, and all I can say is create space for that. Be awake to these encounters. Pay attention to our lives. Pay attention to our lives because the, the, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there. So if that's true, help us to create space to encounter it. So he said that, and that's what it means. But first he said, it's all put back together. But first he said, but he said this, receive the Holy Spirit. And something mysterious in that puff of air, an awe-striking mystery. But the next thing he says is not so esoteric, not so lofty. Back to the question. What would she say? What would he say, that loved one, if they could come back just long enough and we were really listening? And I think maybe if someone who has finished mucking around here in dealing with traffic and road construction, my goodness, Fort Collins, Um, mucking around here in petty office politics and, and angling and manipulating and trying to build some sort of tiny empire in, in our own names and messy relationships that is life a lot of times. If someone who is done with all that and knows stuff we don't know could tell us one thing, maybe it wouldn't be so different than what Jesus said. What he said after this transfer of power, this transfer of power of receive the Holy Spirit, he said, if you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive anyone their sins, they are not forgiven. Really? So that person that, um, that ruined my life, if I don't forgive them, they're not forgiven? All right, I'll take that. 
What will you do with the power? What will we do with the power? He tells them the mission he has handed over to them. He breathes on them and he tells them to receive the sacred wind of God, the keys to the kingdom. It's all yours, boys. Drive. You have power, you powerful bunch of rascals. You think you're just a bunch of kids. You think you're nobody from nowhere with no discernible skills. Uh Uh-uh. You are powered by the turbines of heaven. And if you forgive, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive, well, they're not. Of all he could have said in this scene, just this, of all Jesus could have said right then, and he says this, forgive or don't, your call. That's something. And that is one curious bit of information, wouldn't you say? I remember telling my daughter when she was little, but she was plenty old enough to shake us up. You know, you, you, if, I don't know if there are any kids in here, but you can ruin us. And you can make us sore. Am I right? But I told her. I said, you're powerful. You can move. You can change the whole day. You can change our lives. You can, with, just with your presence and your essence and your attitude. I told her, Jessica, you are a powerful person. And that little bugger, she looked at me like a Norwegian at a Tony Robbins motivational workshop. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Because we don't believe that. I said, honey, I'm serious. Your words and your actions can change everything for us. My day, my life, lives of people around you. And I I just want you to consider how you will use that power. And if you will indulge me and avoid the urge to think I judge my sentences to be on par with the Savior of the world, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is saying something akin to that transfer of power what will you do with it the ancient word for forgive afeimi afeimi a-p-h-e-i-m-i that's transliterated whatever transliterated means it means they write it in such a way that we can pronounce it they use our letters our alphabet but the word that is translated forgive into our word forgive means literally to send away the old the older word from the hebrew would have been about when they put the, they symbolically put the sins of the of all the people of israel on a goat and it was called the scapegoat and they would send it away into the wilderness and they would all watch and say we're we're, we're leaving that <clears throat> now with a lot of languages, you just put a letter on it, like in Spanish, it's a, a, and a, and it, instead of it being, a, it turns it the opposite, okay? So you take this word, you tweak it a little bit, and it becomes not forgive. And the opposite of send away is retain, to hold, to hold it into a place of stagnancy, lack of movement. So what he said could be rendered thusly. Forgive what they did, and it'll be sent away. Don't forgive what they did, and what they did will be retained. Sending away or holding on. Forgiven, retained. Power. Power to send away or lock it up in our souls. You are powerful. The first key Jesus puts in their calloused palms 
What do you do with that kind of power? I want us to enter the story for a moment. Is there now or has there been a time when you did do harm to someone or I did and there was not forgiveness expressed and there still isn't? Possibly. Now, does that mean that God doesn't, they didn't forgive me, so God doesn't forgive me? I don't think that's what it means. It can't be what that means because that would really limit God, right? That <laughs> would be crazy. Um, but if, you, if you've ever been in a situation where either there was a sin or there wasn't, but someone did not forgive you. And whenever you, I don't know if it's this way for you, but whenever I think of that situation or that person, I feel stuck. I feel stagnant. I feel no movement, and I can't move in that area, and it, and it hurts. And that's the power that he's talking about. Imagine a key put there in your hand by Jesus from his scarred hand to yours. There's good reason to turn the key one way and lock it up. You have reason. They may have reason. There's maybe in your mind no earthly reason to turn it the other way except one. Jesus said, do that. Send it away. Why? I don't want them getting off the hook. No. So you can be free as well. So you, we can be free. Remember that you've been given power. Now, bulletin. Turn back. We're going to go through our takeaways. Our takeaways. There today. And the first one, we've talked about it quite a bit, and it's profound. There is a transfer of power. Do you remember when Jesus would say in the stories, like maybe he'd heal something or do something for somebody, and then he would say, whether they asked for it or not, he would say, your sins are forgiven. And do you remember what the religious muckety-mucks would do? They'd get all tied up in knots and mad, and they would say, no one has the power to forgive sins except God. And then Jesus says this, not only I, but you. The power is transferred to you, girls and boys. And you, you may not know how to use it right now. It's like learning how to drive a stick shift. But eventually you'll feel the vibe and you'll feel the rhythm of the kingdom and you'll know how to make this thing move. Your life. Listen to your life. Feel the power transferring through you. Use it wisely. The power. The power to be participants. The power we have in a much more mundane sense just to, just to walk into a space, to work or home or wherever and, and with our, our attitude and our vibe and our spirit to, to change the direction, the trajectory of that, to ruin it or to lift it. Transfer of power. Secondly, take away, we are entangled. We are entangled. If people know we haven't forgiven them, it affects them. They are retained. They are not truly free somehow. And maybe that's what we want. Sometimes it is indeed what we want. And we have good reasons. And people are agreeing with us and encouraging us to, to retain that. And no one is saying we need to do any shifting in our souls, but Jesus is saying we do. 
we are entangled. What I do, what I don't do. Second takeaway, question, am I being retained? Is anyone here being retained? And maybe you, you condemn yourself because you deserve it. Like, I deserve to be retained. Maybe not, but am I being retained? Maybe I need to say I'm sorry. But I already did. I said sorry. I love those apologies like, I'm sorry if my actions offended anyone. Parenthetically not spoken, you're a big baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what it feels like. But maybe we need to make the humbling sacrifice of saying, I'm sorry again or differently because we didn't really mean it or they didn't really believe it. Maybe we can't reach them. Maybe they're gone. But we take that to the Father and he heals our hearts and we do better. Am I being retained? Second question, am I retaining? Am I retaining? It's weird. Like, it, it could be really huge, profound things like things that wrecked our lives, but it could be small things. Like I think about with, with my wife sometimes when, when I feel like I have the upper hand in something, like I kind of won, and, and I'm letting her dangle, and I know that just a word, like it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But I retain her, and I let her just sit there, and I don't, I don't actually do that. <laughs> We do that sometimes, though. All right, two lists. Let's, let's think of two lists, and, and then I want to talk about uh, for a minute about the brain, and then we're going to pray. Two lists. Forgiven, gratitude. Forgive, practice. Forgiven, gratitude. You guys, I'm 51 years old. I've needed to be forgiven of a lot of stuff. I think about a congregation this size. I think about the things, the relationships. There are people that are in the same church that, are, that used to be married that aren't anymore. And that's not to condemn anybody, but that's a, that's a heavy, that is a hard task to, to send away, to release. I think about in this congregation, people who have children taken from them in a criminal act. I think about people who have had people rip them off, who call themselves just Christians, all kinds of... But I also think, man, I have needed a lot of grace in my life. I have needed a whole lot of grace. Make a list. Remember the grace that we have received. Secondly, forgive and practice. Jesus on the cross, one of the best things he said was, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. That's, that's humility. That's empathy. We think we know so much, but we don't. If the, if the Son of God, if Jesus could have that kind of grace with people who were mocking, deserting, executing, shaming him. And he says, man, they don't, they don't really know. Well, they do too know. They know what they... But Jesus says, maybe not. Grace. So we practice it. We practice it. We interrogate our own thoughts. We, we don't let those stories run off. We we maybe stop talking so much about it to some other people, but we practice it. Sometimes we pretend, like sometimes we have a mantra, I forgive you, I send it away. And eventually the, that animating spirit of God, the animating presence assists us and helps us. People, we are unbuilders of walls. We are reconcilers, not to minimize. And it's not about deserve or not deserve. It's about sending it away. 
Now, the last thing, this is interesting. I've been, I'm no neuroscientist. And I hope there's not one in the room. <laughs> but if you are, and I mess this up, just write me a note in a month. No, tell me. But uh, our brain has a reward system. Did you know that? So like when we achieve things, when we win a race or an argument, our brain gives us a, a reward. So like even it could be something as silly as when you like make a good move in traffic on College Avenue and you get in front of that jerk in the big truck and your brain goes, good job, and gives you some serotonin because you achieved something. And there are other, other ones in there too, endorphins and that other one. But um, one of the things the brain likes is to be right, to win. So when, when you feel right about something or win an argument or we get in our echo chambers and we tell each other, this is what's right, then our brain says, good job, and it sends this serotonin to the hippocampus. And the hippocampus says, ooh, Let's go. Remember that. Remember exactly how that happened. And so we stay in our same places of right. And I think that is one of the, our own brain can, can be a, an enemy of freedom and forgiveness because it keeps rewarding us for not forgiving because we're right. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help because our brains, though they are magnificent, they're, they're leading us in some wrong ways. So Breathe in the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. For those who have not experienced forgiveness from you, Father, it is here right now. Jesus is here amongst us. May you encounter, and I, in a, in a profound, unique way, just this sense of his presence and his love and his forgiveness. And if you have never felt deserving or believed in that, or could let this be the day Father, forgive me. Thank you for your love. I want to call myself the one you love. In Jesus' name. For those who are retaining, and for good reason, I just want to ask, entreat you to practice sending it away. Whatever that means. It could be all sorts of things. A practice. And let the wind of the Spirit reward us instead of those those serotonin who tell us sometimes lies that good job you're right and you're not spirit of truth tell us the truth so that we can be free for those of us who are being retained and we can't access the person or the situation assure us that you have forgiven us and if there is a way may we ask one more time Jesus' name, amen.